We're at the brink of another possible government shutdown in eight days. So what did we vote on the House floor today, knowing that was going to happen? I'll tell you. We voted on a provision to reduce the salary of the White House press secretary to $1. So that is what's happening in House of Representatives. And I'm in House leadership. My colleagues elected me as vice chair of the Democratic Caucus. We're just trying to stop stupid stuff from happening, right? We just want to have basic functions of the House occur, such as don't default on our debts, don't shut down the government, and let's just make sure we can keep our country running. So that's where we are. So in answer to your second question, I am not at all confident now or in the near future because of how chaotic it is under Republican control of the House. Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara ong We are delighted and honored to have joining us in this episode Representative Ted Liu, who represents California's 36th congressional district in the U.S. House of Representatives. Representative Liu is serving his fifth term in Congress and currently sits on the House Judiciary, Foreign Affairs, and Science, Space, and Technology Committees. He was also elected by his colleagues to serve as vice chair of the Democratic Caucus, making him the highest ranking Asian American to have ever served in House leadership. Uh, He also has the distinction of being the first member of Congress to introduce legislation that was written by uh, generative artificial intelligence. Thank you so much for joining us, Congressman Liu. Uh, Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's an honor. Congressman Liu, I I wanted to actually start with a question. Last night was the third Republican presidential primary debate, and we we heard in the debate some discussion about technology and specifically about artificial intelligence. I wonder what your reaction was as you heard the candidates talking about technology and AI and what their plans are to regulate it. It did not seem to me that any of them had any coherent plans uh, to address artificial intelligence. Uh, I did hear Nikki Haley say she wants to cut entitlements, which is basically Social Security and Medicare. And I heard Vivek say he wants to build a wall between the United States and Canada. Uh, so that, that's what I heard. Well, you have been a leader in Congress on on artificial intelligence, and, and we're so grateful that we're going to get to spend some time talking about specifics of the work that you're doing. In June, you introduced a bipartisan bill um, that would create a commission to review, recommend, and establish regulations for artificial, and techno- artificial intelligence technology. Um, you know, one of the things that I find particularly interesting about this aspect is the commission approach. Um, that is bipartisan, allowing members from both parties to be on that commission, and also bringing in um, experts from the tech sector to be part of of this commission. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about what you hope to accomplish with this kind of approach. Sure. Uh, There was an artificial intelligence commission in the Department of Defense military sector, and that got pretty good reviews. They made recommendations, a number of which uh, were adopted. So in the civilian side, I think we should have something similar because of how fast moving AI is and how complicated it is. Congress just doesn't have the bandwidth uh, to be able to focus on every you know, possible nefarious application of AI or how do we drill down with all the details. So it'd be good to have a panel of experts on a bipartisan basis, make recommendations to Congress as to what kinds of AI that we might want to regulate and how we might want to go about doing so. Uh, we could reject what the recommendations are, but at least it will be a transparent process 
people will know uh, what the evidence is, how people got their conclusions, who was interviewed, and everyone can start from the same baseline. One of the things that I have found in just studying uh, regulatory regimes is that it can be really difficult to regulate any industry. Um, but it seems that tech is especially difficult to regulate. I wonder what you think of as some of the the best possible enforcement mechanisms when it comes to artificial and our artificial intelligence technologies, especially as the technologies continue to develop and and improve so rapidly. One aspect of it is disclosure. So we already have an entire legal system that's set up to address people's rights and what happens uh, when people get hurt and if there's discrimination and bias and so on. So for example, there's a whole body of employment law. And if you discriminate in hiring, you could get sued. If a company uses artificial intelligence uh, to decide who to hire or not to hire, and that program has a bias, let's say against either uh, gender or uh, race or so on, uh, then that would be deeply problematic and it's not something we want to have happen. But folks wouldn't know to file a lawsuit because they wouldn't know AI was even involved. The way you would allow the legal system to uh, enforce rights and responsibilities is to have disclosure so that people would know, oh, this company and their hiring practices uses AI. And then you can uh, have folks who, if they know that and feel like they're wrongly discriminated against, then they would know uh, that maybe the problem was with AI. But you wouldn't even know AI was involved if you don't have some sort of disclosure. Representative Liu, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to be here with us and speak with us. Uh, my name is Carter Singrani, and I'm a fourth year uh, studying foreign affairs and data science. Um, so how do you uh, anticipate the ongoing challenges and instability um, within the House of Representatives um, to impact current legislative efforts on AI? And uh, how are you working to ensure that AI legislation remains a priority and progresses despite the current uncertainties uh, within the House? Uh, that's a great question. So in the House of Representatives, I'm just going to be descriptive and just tell you uh, what happened. So last term, when... Democrats control the House. Uh, we pass a number of laws, such as the American Rescue Plan, that created a lot of jobs. It uh, made sure that we were able to recover our uh, country back from the uh, economic devastation of a pandemic. We also passed a bipartisan infrastructure law to rebuild roads and bridges and highways and take lead out of water and to put um, broadband everywhere from rural areas to inner cities to suburbs. We passed an Inflation Reduction Act to reduce the deficit and to fund the largest number of climate change projects in world history. This year, when Republicans took control, this is what happened. Uh, we were brought to the brink of a nationwide default on our debts that would have been catastrophic to our economy. We were brought to the brink of a government shutdown. And now we're at the brink of another possible government shutdown in eight days. So what did we vote on the House floor today? knowing that that was going to happen. Well, I'll tell you, we voted on a provision to reduce the salary of the White House press secretary to $1. So that is what's happening in the House of Representatives. And I'm in House leadership. My colleagues elected me as vice chair of the Democratic Caucus. We're just trying to stop stupid stuff from happening, right? We just want to have basic functions of the House occur, such as don't default on our debts, don't shut down the government. Let's just make sure we can keep our country running. 
So that's where we are. So in answer to your second question, I am not at all uh, confident we can do anything on AI uh, now or, or uh, in the near future uh, because of how chaotic it is under Republican control of the House. Hi, my name is Arthinka Krishnan. I'm a second year studying foreign affairs and public policy. Uh, I wanted to ask about on October 30th, 2023, President Joe Biden signed an executive order on artificial intelligence in an effort to establish a coordinated federal government-wide approach to the responsible development and implementation of AI. In your opinion, what actions should the government take to most effectively balance AI development with the safety and privacy of its citizens? And in what way does Biden's executive order on AI make progress in this endeavor? I thought President Biden's executive order was terrific. I, it really was a comprehensive approach to try to address the issues related to AI, one of which is safety and security. Prior to the executive order, I wrote a letter along with Congress members, Zoe Lofgren and Haley Stevens, to ask the administration to have their artificial intelligence risk management framework that was developed by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, known as NIST, uh, to be put in the federal government. And we're pleased that the executive order essentially tasks NIST with adapting its risk management framework and incorporating that uh, into the federal government. And we're very pleased that that's going to be part uh, of uh, what's going to go, go and happen in the future because of this executive order. A second part of the executive order I really liked is uh, their White House and President Biden and Vice President Harris are very focused on weapons of mass destruction and problems uh, that AI uh, can have in those fields that might affect either the development uh, of weapons of mass destruction by or peer competitors or ha having sort of individuals or terrorist groups get access uh, to WMD because AI makes that easier. So I'm happy that executive order addresses that issue as well. Uh, I have introduced my own legislation uh, to put guardrails on the use of AI in the launch of nuclear weapons. And then another aspect of, of the executive order that I really liked is a focus on what's known as um, content authority. In other words, how do you know if a video or uh, audio or document or picture is authentic? Uh, so one of the ways is through a watermark. Uh, there's a standard that's open source that industry right now is uh, looking at. Uh, I just spoke with Adobe and basically you would click on this watermark on a picture and then it'll tell you essentially if you're looking at the original picture or if the picture has been altered uh, in different ways. Uh, so I'm glad that all those are parts of the executive order. It is very comprehensive. It deals, deals with a lot of different issues, but I think it was a fantastic step forward to try to address the risks of AI, but also allowing AI to have a lot of the benefits that we want as a society to see coming from this technology. Congressman, thank you so much for coming today. My name is Yusra Sam Gouli, and I'm a second year studying foreign affairs and public policy. I was wondering how you believe AI could address workforce-related challenges and ensure that American workers, especially rising college graduates are adequately prepared for the changes that AI is expected to bring in the coming years. And if possible, could you also speak to how such efforts can align with your own advocacy for privacy and civil liberties? So thank you for those two questions. 
AI will have a significant effect on workforce. It's just unclear what that effect is going to be a year from now or five years or 10 years. My own opinion is that any profession where you don't have a lot of human contact, with a lot of repetitive tasks, those professions are at risk of, of being um, downsized or eliminated because of AI. But if it's a job where you interact with human beings quite a bit, uh, or if you're, for example, um, working on tasks that aren't all that repetitive, then I think uh, that job is probably relatively safe. And a lot of professions you may not think of that may be at risk uh, are, for example, software programmers. I was talking to Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI. They created ChatGPT, and he says he wouldn't recommend anyone go into the field of software programming right now because, in his view, AI will write most software code uh, in the future. If you look at um, the creative economy, AI is going to have a huge impact. So if you look at the Hollywood strikes, the reason we had them this year was because of AI. And you have AI that can um, write content. You have AI that can generate videos and audio. And so writers and actors and actresses, uh, they went on strike because of AI partly. And to me, there is no real right way or wrong way as to how to monetize AI going forward, but there has to be a way to do so. And so uh, the writers came up with a way in their contract. Uh, the actors and actresses appear to be coming up uh, with a way in their contract on how to address AI. Uh, they uh, will have the details released uh, shortly uh, from their negotiations. And what we're seeing now is different industries trying to figure out, well, how do we go forward in a society where you have these large language models and generative AI uh, that can either replace certain human tasks or make a number of human tasks uh, more efficient? Uh, so back to the software programmers again, I was talking to an executive at Amazon and he said um, they basically have the software that helps programmers complete their code. Amazon calls it... Uh, I think code whisperer, and basically you write uh, lines of code, uh, then it'll complete it for you. And the executive said that software programmers are about 30% more efficient using AI compared to software programmers who don't use AI. So if you just calculate that out, that means a software programmer using AI can do more in a four-day work week than they can do right now in a five-day work week without using AI. So the question is, what do you do with that? Uh, by the way, I vote uh, for the four-day work week, but the employer could also fire 30% of their programmers, or they can make their programmers work 30% harder. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Government doesn't have a lot to say in, in a lot of these discussions. It's just going to be decisions being made by different employers uh, with their employees. And so we'll just have to see uh, in the next year or a few years uh, how this shakes out. It's, it's hard to predict and know exactly uh, how it's going to affect the workforce. But it is going to make a number of human tasks uh, much more efficient or eliminate a number of human tasks. Hello, Congressman. My name is Molly McGrady. I'm a fourth year studying foreign affairs and history. Um, I recently attended the Senate foreign affairs hearing on the future of AI while interning on the Hill last summer. 
specifically on intellectual property and copyright disputes. Among our concerns are the ways in which generative AI might impact the 2024 presidential election, especially given that anyone and everyone now has the capability to create materials and can do so with the aim of disrupting our democratic processes. In your view, what can be done in the short term to mitigate the challenges posed by generative AI to elections in the U.S. and in democracies around the world next year? Generative AI is the reason that all of a sudden people are talking about AI, uh, partly because of their worldwide release of ChatGPT last year. Uh, I do note, however, that deep fakes were happening before these large language models and generative AI. Uh, fake audio, uh, fake pictures, all that was already happening. Uh, so it's not, I think, a qualitative difference now that we have generative AI versus not having it in terms of, you know, having fake videos or fake pictures or fake documents. That's always been with us uh, for, uh, uh, actually, for, for much of human existence. There's always fakes, right, throughout human history. Uh, so the question is, well, what does you know, generative AI sort of add to this, it probably makes it a little bit easier uh, to target people uh, with, with messaging. Uh, generative AI is pretty good at figuring out, you know, what pushes certain people's buttons and how you can deliver messages to them that might trigger them in, in, in different ways. Uh, but in terms of actually making, you know, deep fakes and fake audio and all that, that was already available well before large language models. Now, ways to counter this, again, you can have, you know, a watermarking system, uh, but one of the best ways is I just urge everyone not to fully trust AI and not to fully trust whatever it is that they see on the internet and to uh, do some double checking uh, and to make sure that you try to uh, find out if it's a legitimate source or not. Uh, so um, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be, it was, I mean, it's been a problem. It's going to be a problem in next year's elections. And to me, the best counter is to just have people uh, not fully trust what it is that they see and hear on the internet. Just as a quick follow-up to that that question, I know yesterday there were hearings in the House also on on deep fakes, um, and and then in response um, uh, to some of the concerns that have been raised by lawmakers, Meta, which is the parent company of both Facebook and Instagram has announced that all political ads uh, will require disclosures if uh, generative artificial intelligence is used to make them. Do you, do you think that, you know, that, that Meta and, and other, other tech companies requiring these disclosures is, is going to be enough to abate those concerns? Uh, so based on what you said, I think that's a great first step. Uh, it's not clear to me why they would limit it to just political ads made with generative AI. So right now, if you see a TV ad for a federal candidate, let's say it was me, at some point it's going to say, I'm Ted Lou and I approve this message. So you know that I basically understood what it is I'm about to show and that I paid for it. On social media, there's no disclosure for any ads. So if Russia, for example, wants to do an ad promoting Donald Trump, you wouldn't know that an ad was um, you know, being promoted by Russia. Under legislation in Congress uh, that I hope will become law, uh, it will require disclosure of ads on social media and, and who paid for it. So uh, in this case, it would say, you know, if there was an ad for Trump paid by Russia, it would say at some point paid for by the Kremlin. It's not clear why you would have Journey of AI as sort of 
a line to draw as to whether you would disclose or not. It seems to me a better line to draw is who paid for that ad and to disclose who paid for that ad. Uh, I don't really care how the ad was made. Uh, I think um, it's important for people to know who uh, is putting that ad in front of you for you to see. Well, Congressman Liu, we thank you so much for your time um, and, and, and for sharing your expertise with us. Um, we, we also know that you have served uh, in the Air Force and retired as a colonel. And as we approach Veterans Day, we want to thank you for your service and thank all of the, all of the other service members um, for the sacrifices they have made to our country. Thank you. And thanks so much for inviting me today. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Whaley. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at Center Number Four Politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.